0: Hey friends, welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. My name is Dustin and I get to be the lead pastor here at our beloved church. And uh, I'm so thankful that we get to spend uh, Resurrection Sunday together like this. Although it's strange, I'm glad that we're here together. And uh, this uh, Resurrection Sunday is particularly meaningful for me because uh, as I was charting out all of our sermons over the last uh, several months, uh, you know, last week it occurred to me that uh, Palm Sunday would fall on last Sunday, which was so cool. And uh, actually this Sunday on Resurrection Sunday... Uh, The passage that you and I are going to get to look at is in John 12, uh, in the passages verses 20 through 26. And uh, that is a particularly meaningful uh, section of scripture to me and in my life, uh, because uh, years ago, uh, when I preached my first sermon and became a pastor, I remember walking up to the pulpit at the church, and at the pulpit, uh, there was a little plaque. And on that plaque, it said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus, John 12, 21. And that has always stuck with me. And uh, so anyway, so uh, when I moved here to Jacksonville into the beautiful Rogue Valley last year, uh, some guys from church offered to build me uh, my very own beautiful, uh, you know, uh, locally made and sourced uh, pulpit. And uh, you know big shout out and thanks to those guys who did that. They built this uh, pulpit for me. It's made out of myrtle wood, which is a great uh, reminder of the myrtle wood that grows here in Southern Oregon, but also the myrtlewood tree that grows in the Holy Land. Uh, But when they were building it, I asked them to do something really particular. And I bet you can guess what it is. I said, when you build it, will you please carve some words into the front of it so that anytime I step before a congregation, I would be reminded of these words, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And actually, if you look closely, I have my pulpit turned around right now. Uh, You're seeing what I see every Sunday. And as you can see right here, uh, carved into the myrtlewood, uh, it says sir we wish to see jesus john 12:21 and uh, friends that's the passage of scripture that you and i are going to study today uh, that is the reason for us to have hope for this whole year uh, that if we knock he will open the door that if we ask he will give it to us and if we open our eyes we will see jesus And so today, what I want you to do is I want you to grab your Bible, uh, go to John chapter 12, and let's look at John 12, 20 through 26 together. Hopefully you've got your Bible out, or uh, maybe you can pull it up on your phone. Maybe you've got the Bible app or the ESV Bible app. Uh, We'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's word in front of you. Uh, So not only is it on the screen, sometimes it'll also be right there in your lap every time. So with that, friends, let's read John 12, verses 20 through 26. This is the word of the Lord to us. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we keep that Bible open in front of us. Father God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Lord of the resurrection, we pray this morning that we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would see your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are malleable by your hands. Father, give us a hope, lift up our countenances that we would see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we dive into this passage, uh, it's a short passage for me, uh, but there's so much packed into here that I really thought the, the easiest way for you and I to walk through this passage this morning is really just to go through it verse by verse, and I'm going to give you a couple of things to notice as we walk through it. In fact, I'm going to give you seven reasons for us to have hope this morning. So the first thing, if you want to you know follow along with an outline, if, you, if that, you're that kind of person, uh, the first thing is I want you to see in our passage, the first reason for us to have hope is that there are a lot of people here right now. And I don't just mean right now, you know, streaming it on the internet. What I mean is there are a lot of people here in our passage. Look at verse 20 with me. Uh, This is all about the Passover feast. And in verse 20, it says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, for a little bit of context, uh, what's going on here in this section of John is Jesus is now entering his last week of life before he dies on the cross. So remember last week, we looked at Palm Sunday when Jesus uh, enters Jerusalem. And now as he's entering Jerusalem, uh, what's happening during this week is apparently some Greek people come and they want to meet and talk with Jesus. And so um, all over this, we're seeing in verse 20 that um, the scene that you and I are supposed to be keeping in our minds, you know, the the mental picture, you know, if you can use your uh, sort of, you know, um, uh, divinely inspired imagination, if you can sort of picture ancient Israel, like an ancient city, and there are tens and tens and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people uh, in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus is one of them, and so are his 12 disciples. And what John wants us to focus on is that in the midst of all of those people, all of the people of the nation of Israel coming to worship the only true God, the God of Israel, there are actually some ethnically Greek people who have come. And what you'll know if you read the Bible and if you study the New Testament and if you remember the story of a guy named Cornelius, he shows up in Acts chapter 10. What you'll know is that um, all throughout the Bible's time and even throughout Jesus's life, particularly, uh, there were people who wanted to be around the faith of the God of Israel. They wanted to be around the God of the Bible. And for some reason, uh, maybe it was circumcision, or maybe it was the dietary laws, or maybe it was the idea that uh, Judaism and the faith that Jesus had was monotheistic, meaning there was only one true God, and that was the only one. But whatever the reason was, a lot of people would appreciate the faith, appreciate the Bible, but they wouldn't actually go all the way and become fully devoted followers of God. Uh, The New Testament will sometimes call these people God-fearers. You know, they were people who would fear God, uh, but they weren't ready to sort of jump all in. Uh, They were people who uh, maybe were there for the baptism, but they never went quite fully under the water, if you will. And so what John's pointing us to is right here in this big, huge springtime feast of Passover, when God's people would be reminded that the Lord himself provided a Passover lamb to redeem them from sin and slavery during that huge festival, not only were there a deeply devout people who loved the Lord, not only were there believers, so to speak, At the same time, there were a lot of people uh, who weren't believers or were maybe open to faith, but they weren't, you know, like a fundamentalist or a zealot or whatever they would say. Uh, They're open to it, but they're not the totally convinced. Uh, They're open to it, but maybe they're not the totally, uh, you know, committed, if you will. And so what I want us to realize is that what's going on in our passage um, is something pretty profound. And it's a reason for you and me to have hope right now. And that is very simply, whether it's Jesus's lifetime or whether it's the spring of 2020, which, you know, uh, for some reason, I feel like we're going to remember 2020 for a long time. Uh, Whether it's Jesus's lifetime, though, or it's today on Resurrection Sunday of 2020. And we're celebrating not just the Passover, but the ultimate Passover lamb who died for our sins that there are going to be all kinds of people who are going to be drawn into this. Or think about it this way, Uh, just try to think with your mind's eye, how many different people all over the planet are tuning in right now? And do you really think every one of them is convinced or that every one of them is committed? Or do you think it's likely that just like in our story, that uh, today that there are people who really believe and then there are people who want to believe but for some reason can't but regardless they show up so i wonder if you know if that means anything to you are you logging in here trying to figure out you know where you stand well uh, that's the first reason for us to hope i think is that there're all sorts of people here but what i want you to see and i want you to embrace uh, particularly if you are here and you're not yet totally committed or convinced is the very next thing we need to see is that regardless of who these people are, everybody at this feast of Passover, they all want the same thing. (laughs) They all want to see Jesus. I mean, look at verse 21, right? Uh, These Greek speaking people, they, they show up, they ask Philip, they don't go directly to Jesus. You know, maybe they're intimidated to talk to Jesus or maybe Jesus isn't somewhere they can go right now. And so they go to Philip and they say, sir, We wish to see Jesus. And, you know, I don't know if that's because they want to give their whole lives over to Jesus, that they want to confess him as Lord and savior. um, Or if it's more just that they're curious to know what all of the deal is about this guy. Maybe they've heard of him, uh, but for some reason, they feel like they need to meet with him and talk this through. And, uh, you know, I think there are so many people who uh, maybe had a faith background. Maybe you grew up in the church and you felt like um, somewhere along the line, uh, you went wrong or it went wrong, Uh, or there are people who weren't ever exposed to faith, Uh, but you have this sinking suspicion in the back of your mind that, you know, if I could just sit down with Jesus himself and talk to him, um, I'd probably get a different answer on some of the questions that I have. Uh, maybe there's something keeping you back. And uh, if that's where you are, I want you to know, friends, that I was there too. And it wasn't until I opened up God's word and listened to God himself speaking through the words of Jesus Christ that I finally was able to see Jesus. You know, if you've got uh, things that are holding you back, maybe bad experiences with the church, uh, what I want to remind you of, is, uh, friend, is simply this. Um, If that's how you feel, I know where you are and I've been there before. But remember, just because Christians in the church can't always live up uh, to the call of Jesus Christ, uh, that doesn't mean that Jesus or his call are wrong or to be ignored. I mean, think about it this way. Um, You know, if you had a eight-year-old son who was learning to play the piano and you, you know handed him some Bach music and he put it in the piano in front of him and said, play this for me perfectly. Well, do you think your eight-year-old could do it? (laughs) Probably not unless your kid was a prodigy. Your kid would probably struggle. Now, does that reflect something bad or wrong about your kid? Or does that just simply show us that we've got to grow into some things? You see, I feel like the gospel a lot of times is like the most beautiful music ever written. And then if we can catch that melody in our lives, everything Uh, Is beautiful and it resolves. Uh, But for a lot of us, we're like (laughs) eight-year-olds. You know, we didn't get formal lessons and we're trying as hard as we can to play the music, but we don't do it perfectly. So I don't know what's holding you back, if there is anything. Uh, Something's holding these Greek-speaking people back. uh, But what they know, what they intuit, uh, what in their gut they're telling themselves, is that if they can sit down and hear from Jesus Christ himself, um, they're going to get an answer. And if that's how you feel, um, or even if, um, even if you're a Christian hearing this, I, I'm always reminded of one of my favorite pastors. Uh, he was a German pastor. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he has a famous story. Uh, he opposed Hitler. He protected uh, his uh, Jewish relatives and his friends and was ultimately killed uh, in a concentration camp in Flossenburg. Uh, but he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And on the first page of this book, uh, Jesus says something incredibly, or or Bonhoeffer says something incredibly profound about Jesus. Uh, Bonhoeffer wrote these words. We have a strange feeling that if Jesus himself, Jesus alone with his word, could come into our midst at sermon time, we should find quite a different set of men hearing the word and quite a different set rejecting it. You see, friends, what, I'm suggesting to you uh, that our reason for hope, even today on Resurrection Sunday, is that um, if you have this gut feeling that if you could hear from Jesus, that would change things. That gut reaction is dead on. But I have to ask, are you ready to hear what Jesus has to say next? Because it's incredibly, incredibly challenging um, it's a paradox in a lot of ways. Uh, what Jesus is going to say to these people is incredibly uh, challenging, but it's also incredibly uplifting. Uh, the gospel will humble you in ways you've never wanted to be humbled, and yet it's going to lift you to heights you never dreamed were possible. Uh, but before we we get into that, um, there's, a, there's another thing I want you to realize, another reason for hope, uh, which I, I find very encouraging as a Christian And that is, uh, these people want to see Jesus, but did you catch um, who they go to first? Right there in verse 21, uh, what you'll notice is that these Greek-speaking people, these Greek non-Jewish people, they come up and they don't go first to Jesus. They instead go to a guy named Philip. And John reminds us that this Philip, who's one of the 12 disciples, was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And uh, you may be like tempted, you know, like a lot of us to say, well, (laughs) who cares where he's from? That's not important. And, you know, I couldn't put, you know, hardly anything on a map, uh, let alone an ancient city like Bethsaida, right? But are those throwaway lines? Uh, Friends, I don't actually think so. I think those words are incredibly important because it helps us understand the story. You see, you may not have caught it, but Philip is one of the few disciples who had a Greek name, Philip. It's based off of the Greek word philos, which means love. And so these Greek people want to get close to Jesus, but for some reason, something's holding them back. So instead what they do is they go to the next best thing, somebody they know who follows Jesus. And they go to one of Jesus's followers and they say, will you please introduce us? You see, John makes a point. Philip and our passage is from Bethsaida, which was very near the Greek cities of the Decapolis. And so maybe they had heard of Philip. Maybe they knew him in some way. But whatever the situation was, these people who are trying to find out about Jesus they're too intimidated to go to him first. And so what they do is they go to one of his followers. So if you're a Christian this morning, if you have been you know, baptized in his name and raised to new life, if you do follow him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, this should be gripping to you. And you should be putting two and two together, which is for many people who have either been burned by the church or don't come from a background of faith, Many of them need someone to make the introduction to Jesus with them. Christian, there are people in your life who need you to take them by the hand and show them Jesus. It's very simple. All you have to do is show them Jesus. Uh, You don't have to have all of the answers. You don't have to explain everything they've ever wanted to know. Friends, remember what you and I do is we show people Jesus. You could do a lot worse than simply ask someone right now, Christian, during this quarantine time, hey, would you be interested in reading the Gospel of John with me over the next week? Let's do three chapters a day and let's, do you mind just telling me what you think? You know, friends, what if we're not supposed to defend Jesus so much as simply introduce him to our friends that are probably really curious and probably very desperate to see Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian or if you're one of these people who are interested or seeking or open to faith, Uh, Friends, what I hope you're starting to see in this passage is if you know anybody, (laughs) if there's anybody in your life uh, that you know that takes Jesus seriously, that studies his word, that tries to follow him, uh, somebody that you respect, maybe you don't agree with them about Jesus, but you know that they're trying to follow him, um, I would exhort you with everything I can and encourage you uh, to shoot him an email and just ask them to read the Gospel of John with you. Um, Be like these Greek people who uh, take that bold step. Um, It's not the leap of faith yet, right? But it's one step closer. They go to somebody they know that's affiliated with Jesus, and they say, will you show me Jesus? Will you make that introduction? And of course, um, I know there are many of you that um, (laughs) you may be thinking, in all honesty, there's not a Christian I know that I would want influencing me. But friends, uh, if that's how you feel, uh, I want to offer, you can always email me. (laughs) You can email me and I would love to read the Gospel of John with you. Uh, I think my email is down below. Uh, I'm always available. I would love to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, But friends, um, that's really the, the third thing I want us to see, right? That God uses people to make the introduction to Jesus, which is so encouraging Uh, Now, the fourth thing I want us to see is, of course, is in our next verse right there, which is fascinating because after the uh, disciples come, Philip and Andrew, they say, hey, these people want to talk to you. How does Jesus respond? Well, it's fascinating because in verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. (laughs) not exactly uh, the answer that these guys are probably expecting to get, right? I mean, they said, we'd like to talk to Jesus. We'd like to ask him some deep questions. You know, we've got some questions about philosophy and life and meaning, and we want to know who he is. What does he claim to be? (laughs) Maybe why are your people so weird all the time? Whatever their questions are, they don't really get the answer that they're looking for. Instead, what Jesus seems to do is he seems to take this as a sign that um, something has shifted in the trajectory of his life. Uh, friends, what I mean is, if, if you've been tracking with us, if you're a part of our church, uh, you'll know that we've been going through the Gospel of John for several months now. And you may remember that very early on, Jesus begins talking about something that he calls his hour. He talks about it first uh, when he does his very first miracle. When he turns the water into wine, he says, "Um, woman, my hour has not yet come. And then over and over again in the Gospel of John, people try to kill Jesus, but he's able to uh, get out of their plans to murder him because as John will say in chapter seven and eight, his hour has not yet come. But here in John 12, 23 Um, Everything changes because now Jesus says for the first time, my hour has come. My hour is now here. And for the rest of the gospel of John, Jesus will be saying, my hour has come. My hour is here. And remember now, even in chapter 12, we're into the very last days of Jesus before he dies on the cross. You see, for Jesus... When he hears that people from outside the nation of Israel, that um, non-religious people, uh, that people that you maybe wouldn't expect are interested in knowing the God of Israel, when those kind of people show up in Jesus's life and they say, we're ready to talk. We want to learn more about you. Jesus says, that's it. My hour is. Has come. My hour to die on a cross as the ultimate Passover lamb, as the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of the world. Uh, He has come, as he already says, not just for the flock of Israel, but for all the peoples of the earth, Uh, just as Genesis 12 promises uh, that there would come someone who would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And so when all the peoples, the Greeks, come to Jesus and they say, "Um, we want to see you, we want to speak with you, Jesus says, now my time to die for the world has come. You see, friends, this is what Jesus has come to do. This has been on Jesus' mind since the beginning of his ministry. It was talked about all throughout the Old Testament that there would come someone who would be the ultimate sacrifice for sins. And even in the Old Testament, like in Zechariah 12, God will say that he himself will be pierced. And his own people in Israel and Jerusalem will look upon me whom they have pierced. And by doing so, a fountain will be opened up to cleanse them from their unrighteousness. You see, Jesus knew those passages and he knew that he had come to die for the sin of the world. Now, um, the amazing thing about the gospel and what that means is that Jesus has come to save um, not just good people who he can make a little bit better. Uh, What Jesus has come to do is nothing less than offer the salvation and the eternal life to anyone who will turn to him in faith. Um, He has come uh, to offer salvation both to the Jew, but also to all the Gentiles, of which I am definitely a Gentile. And friends, what that means for you, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, is Jesus is offering you salvation even right now. Um, That all of our sin, you know, it goes all the way up to the top. Even when we sin against each other, we are actually sinning against the Lord who made each of us. You see, all of our sin, it rises um, and it has to be expunged and cleansed. I know that may sound kind of strange, but... um, I mean, think about it this way. Um, If I really offended you, if I, you know, if I really, really offended you, like I, I don't know, if I walked up and I slapped you really hard in the face and I said, well, I just need you to forgive me. Well, you just got to get over it. Well, if I've really offended you, if something deeply wrong has happened to you, um, you realize that forgiveness comes with a really big price tag. It's actually very hard and it's hard on you to forgive. Right, Because really, you can either bear the weight of the hardness of the forgiveness, or like a lot of people in our broken world, if somebody slaps you really hard, what can you do? Well, punch them twice as hard as they hit you, so they feel some of the weight of the hurt. You see, when you and I sin against God, God is either going to punish us back righteously for our sin, or amazingly, (laughs) Because God is full of mercy and love and exceedingly compassionate. He says, I will bear the weight and the pain of forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. He's God who has entered our world, who lived a sinless life, and then was raised up on a cross and took the punishment that offers us Forgiveness. Which is why, if you trust in Jesus, every sin you have ever committed is totally forgiven forever. Because Jesus already took the punishment for you. Uh, God can no longer punish you for your sins. Uh, Then he can (laughs) draw a line from the east to the west. It's impossible. It goes forever. And Jesus casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. You see, friends, this is the truth of the gospel. And it's not just for bad people who have messed up. It's not just for good people who need a little sprucing up. It's for everybody. Because what the Bible actually teaches is that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. You see, the problem with being raised uber-religious is often... That simply means that you and I are raised uber hypocritical and judgmental. And the problem with being raised away from the faith is we never know the true God and his mercy. You see, whether you are a Greek or you're one of the Pharisees, Jesus calls everybody to repent and trust in him. You see, this is why I was saying the gospel is going to humble you and me in ways we never really wanted (laughs) but always needed. And yet the mercy and the love and the complete forgiveness of God, everything we've done can be forgiven. Friends, that will lift you to new heights. Uh, You'll see yourself differently. You'll see others differently. You'll forgive differently. You'll hope differently. See, friends, the gospel works its way all throughout your heart and your life. It's like it takes all the cracks in the hard concrete of our hearts and it starts to heal them. See, friends, this is what Jesus has come to do. In just a few verses later, Jesus will say this, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. See, this is what Jesus has come to do. This is the hour of, appointed for him by God, the father, out of their love for you. So what does that mean for us? Um, How do we respond to this? Uh, It's fascinating where Jesus goes next. And this is another reason to hope, but it may not seem like it when I first say it. And that is simply another reason for us to hope today is that each of us, You and me both, we are called to die. (laughs) You and I are called to die. Cheer up. The good news of the gospel, friend, is that you and I are called to die. And what I mean by that is I don't mean we're supposed to die well. That's not what I mean. What I mean is simply what Jesus talks about right there in verse 24 and 25. He says, truly, truly, that's Jesus's way of saying, I'm about to tell you something important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and, you know, dies, so to speak, it remains alone. But if the seed dies, it bears much fruit. And all Jesus is using right there is a simple parable. It's a metaphor, right? All he's saying is saying, just like a seed has to be buried in the ground so that new life can spring up from it. Well, you and I, we have to die in order for the new life that God is offering comes to us. And then he goes on and he says, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world, though, he will keep it forever. You see, friends, Jesus was called to die on our behalf for our sins. That's what his hour is all about. That's why he has come to change the world. But the amazing thing is, is as Jesus was called to take his cross, the amazing thing is Jesus tells his followers, even these Greeks who are sort of open to faith, who want to learn about him, what Jesus tells them is, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to die. You've got to die. Just like a seed has to be buried in the dirt so that new life can come up, you have to die to what you want to your opinions, uh, to your goals in life, uh, to your idea that you have control of the steering wheel of your life. You have to give it over to me. You've got to die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And I know that sounds really, really scary. But um, consider this. The other reason that you and I can have hope is that the gospel doesn't just teach that you and I are supposed to die to ourselves. Um, yes, that's part of it, but it like, it's like two sides of a coin. You need both of them. Yes, we die to ourselves, but Jesus also tells us that you and I are called to truly live, to have life abundantly and that's what Jesus says in John ten ten. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Uh, there is a life that you are always supposed to live. There is a you that you are supposed to become that is shaped and molded by the very spirit of God within you. And if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he offers you life abundantly, life eternal. And that's exactly what he says in our passage. See it right there in verse 25. If you hate your life, right? if you give up what you want in this life, in this world, you will keep your life for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also, and my father will honor him. You see, the beauty and the hope of the gospel is that as we die to our whims and wishes, and we live by the power of his Holy Spirit within us, uh, what starts to happen is that it's not that we're, we, we live this morose life and we're always sad and, oh, we're always, you know, so bummed about everything. No, what we have is we have the very life of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But friends, it is going to utterly change everything about you uh, to the extent that the only way to really talk about this new life is to really talk about being born again, having new life so let me help you kind of understand how that works. I know that's kind of a strange idea, but just consider this. Um, you know, do you have a musical instrument that really speaks to you? You know, do you have a musical instrument that you just love more than, than the others? Um, you know, for me, I play acoustic guitar, so I love the acoustic guitar and, uh, the, but the best thing that can ever uh, happen to me when I'm, in, you know, listening to music is I can be in the presence of somebody who is just utterly amazing and way better than me at the acoustic guitar. And when I watch people who are utterly amazing at acoustic guitar, um, they're, it's, like they're, it's like they're speaking through their instrument. You know, they don't even have to look at the neck. They can, it's like they're just, it's just coming out of them. It's an extension of their very soul and who they are. I mean, that's the beauty of great music. But you realize to be that free with a guitar, to not look, to play beautifully, um, to let it sing from your very soul within you, you realize, of course, that to get to that level, that that musician would have had to have devoted years and years of their life to playing that instrument. So, The paradox of becoming truly free with a musical instrument, to play it without thinking, to play it as an extension of your soul, the irony to play with that level of freedom and expression, the irony to get to that freedom is that you have to give up your freedom for years and years and years of practice. See, friends, the irony is that for us to be truly free we have to be willing to give up our freedom for a greater and a higher purpose. The thing about it this way, um, one of my uh, favorite biographies I ever read, uh, it was actually uh, for my kids. It was a kid's biography and it was about a man named George Mueller. Now, you may know that name. He lived in Bristol, England in the 1800s and George Mueller was living a very normal life until one day he realized that God was calling him to do something different And so George Mueller started several orphanages for kids without parents. And by the end of George Mueller's life, famously, he had cared for over 10,000 orphans in Bristol, England. And something like 100,000 kids were influenced by his curriculum that he had come up with. Uh, But what's amazing about George Mueller is uh, one day somebody came up to George Mueller and they said, you know, what's been the secret to your life? I mean, you've had this incredible impact on thousands and thousands of beautiful orphans. Now, what's been the secret of your life? And George Mueller responded like this. He said, there was a day when I died. Died to George Mueller. His opinions, preferences, his tastes, and his will. Died to the world. Its approval or censure. Died even to to the approval of others. See friends, what George Mueller had realized was the power of the gospel that to truly live, we have to die to sin, die to our will and live for the Lord's. And the beautiful thing is friends, when that happens, our will is finally free to express the song that our soul was always meant to sing. See, the irony is that until we are willing to take up our cross and die with Jesus, we'll never truly live. We'll never have eternal life. Life with the Lord now and for eternity. See, friends, that's a great reason for hope. Uh, But my last reason for hope, it's going to come as a surprise. I hope it does. Uh, It's kind of surprising to me, at least, when I was reading this story. And the last reason for hope is simply this: friends, all throughout this passage, um, you may not have caught this, but Jesus Jesus never meets with these Greeks. They ask to meet with Jesus. They ask to interview him. They want to talk about their questions, their doubts. Maybe they're interested to see what Jesus has to say about his followers. But John tells us that Jesus never talks to these people. Instead, he, he does speak to his disciples. But in verse 23, it says, when Jesus answered them, he's talking to Philip and Andrew. He's not talking to these Greeks. I think what Jesus is doing is simply this. Uh, Friends, what if if Jesus doesn't meet us on our terms? Um, If you're waiting for the perfect explanation for why the coronavirus is working um, its destruction in our world, if you're waiting for the perfect explanation for why the wrongs that happened to you happened, Um, if you're looking for the perfect argument to prove God's existence. Friends, what if Jesus isn't going to meet you on your turf? What if you're called to meet Jesus on his? And what if instead of a perfect argument or a perfect explanation, what if God provides you a perfect person? As one pastor put it, what if instead of an airtight argument, what if God provided you an airtight person? You see, friends, I think what Jesus is really trying to show those Greeks that if they really want to see Jesus, if they want to know what he's about, if they want to understand what he's up to, uh, friends, there's only one way that they will ever see it. And friend, that you and I will ever truly see Jesus. And Jesus doesn't answer their questions. What he does is he focuses attention on His hour. And Jesus, in just a few days, is going to be raised on a cross and take the punishment for the sins of his people and offer them full forgiveness and salvation. And if these Greeks are going to want to see Jesus, uh, friends, there's only one way to see Jesus, and that's Jesus crucified for our sins. The Lord himself come to take the punishment that you and I deserve. spreading his arms out wide, proving his love for you, but also guaranteeing the forgiveness and the eternal life of anyone who trusts in him. The debt is paid. Friend, it is paid by Jesus. And that's the only way we will ever truly see him. You know, on the, on the cross, when Jesus was dying, um, people were constantly trying to get Jesus to do what they wanted to, him to do. They wanted Jesus to explain himself on their terms. And in Mark fifteen thirty two, some people uh, mock Jesus while he's on the cross. And they say, "...let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe." You see, these people were saying, well, I'm only going to believe in Jesus. I'd only believe if you came down from the cross and then I could really see you and then I could really believe. But friends, what they don't realize is they will only ever believe when they see him hanging on the cross. Even though he could get down, he chose to stay there. And friends, until you see Jesus on the cross, you'll never really see him and you will never believe because it is only when you see that Jesus has come for his hour that everything about his life will make sense. Otherwise, you'll end up mocking him or ignoring him or deriding him. Friends, our hope this morning on Resurrection Sunday is that if we see him on the cross, then we will believe. Friends, that's the invitation uh, to see Jesus in a different way and to become a new person. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you uh, that you did what we could not. You went on the cross and you died for us. And even more, you came back from the dead, proving that your word is true and proving that you really can offer us eternal life. Uh, Jesus, we love you because you first loved us, whether we were raised religious or irreligious, or we were rich or we were poor, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, Lord, you are offering salvation to each one of us. Father, thank you for your grace in your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, even now, would you be giving people eyes to see and hearts to believe? Amen.